Paramount Plus with Showtime launched this week, we put into context what the end of a decades-old standalone premium TV brand means in today's streaming market. Listen on to hear more. This week's edition of Inside the Stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News, and that was Colin Dixon at the top there from Endscreen Media. Hi, Colin. How's everything? It's great. Well, I'm thoroughly looking forward to the long Fourth of July weekend. I think probably most of the country will be taking Monday off as well as Tuesday, and probably many of them will be taking off the rest of the week. So uh, I'm really looking forward to that. It's going to heat up here in California a little bit. We're catching up with the rest of the country, I think. What about you? You you taking a, a long break over the 4th of July weekend? Yeah, I'm going to take a little bit of a break. I, um, I'm curious, what is one with a British accent? How does one react to the 4th of July? Is there any pining for the old days of when this land was your land or... Well, this one with an accent goes out and enjoys the fireworks. Right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good to hear. Well, let's, and we are going to skip next week, by the way, we should note for our listeners, we take a break. So why don't we go ahead and get started, Colin? You have the first news item this week. Yeah. So the story that caught my eye this week, Will, was sort of a continue. this is the continuing movement of sports online, live sports online. And uh, maybe this is, it's not Formula One, but Formula E will be appearing on the Roku channel in its next season. Uh, This is a pretty interesting deal because the rights package for Formula E, and Formula E, by the way, is electric race car racing. So these are all powered by um, electric, electric motors and batteries. And... This is a multi-year deal in which Roku will get 11 of 16 races uh, for, and they will be, be appearing on its Fast the Roku channel. And Paramount Plus and CBS will air the other five races and this starts in January of 2024. So uh, basically the five races carried by CBS will be simulcast on Paramount Plus as well. And Roku is, I I love this for Roku because they're sort of wrapping their arms around the whole deal, even though they don't have all of these, all of the races. Of course, they'll have the 11 races on the Roku channel, but they have on the sports tab, they'll sort of wrap everything because, of course, you can subscribe to Paramount Plus on uh, through the Roku channel. So they're sort of wrapping that all into the sports experience. So I think this is a pretty interesting approach from Roku. Uh, as uh, it's as we say, it's not Formula One, but I think it's still growing in popularity. And I got a feeling it's going to attract a lot of the ex-petrol heads who enjoy Formula One will want to check it out, particularly if they can check out 11 of the 16 races for free on the Roku channel. So pretty interesting deal. Yeah, I, I thought it seemed pretty opportunistic by Roku. And for Formula E, which is a relatively young brand, it seems like a nice opportunity to get in front of, you know, huge, obviously huge audience, 70 million actives on Roku. So it seems like a win-win, probably a relatively modest deal, but a nice toehold for Roku and a nice brand opportunity for Formula E. I think so. I think so. So anyway, what, what culture are I? So this is actually a story that 
was not this current week, but was last week, and I forgot to mention it then, but was intrigued to read in Deadline, actually, about the uh, potential deal by Warner Brothers Discovery to license some HBO original content to Netflix, of all companies. And I have to say, we all know that Warner Brothers Discovery is doing everything humanly possible to raise revenue and bring new money into the company to pay down its debt. Um, it does seem like something that is unexpected, at least from my standpoint anyway, at a time when HBO Max, now Max of course, is fighting tooth and nail to compete with Netflix and other big streaming services to kind of muddy the waters by putting shows that are going to get an HBO credit at the beginning as an HBO original on Netflix is, you know, to me, it's a little bit confounding, but I suppose when you're in Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers Discovery shoes um, and you're trying to, again, be as optimistic as possible, everything is on the table. So nothing yet has been announced. This was just deadline reporting. I think I saw it in a couple of other places as well. And it'll be interesting to see whether it actually happens. And it, it also, I think, ties back to what we talked about probably a couple months or so ago where we were uh, discussing Amazon licensing some of, try, or as I say, trying to license some of its originals to other streaming services as well. And we were both scratching our heads a little bit on that one, I think, wondering whether any third-party service could monetize those originals as well as Amazon itself could. And here we are in another situation where it's a somewhat confounding licensing proposition. So I suppose everything's on the table these days, right? Well, definitely, definitely for Warner Brothers Discovery, as they continue to try and dig out from that mountain of debt they're facing. Yeah. And boy, they certainly didn't get any help from their latest uh, DC movie, The Flash, which appears to have been a big flop in theaters. So I guess this, they're looking to make up some of that revenue here, too. And I, we were... I was thinking about this, Will, and am, am I right in saying that actually this would not be the first time HBO had licensed content? I think that before the HBO Go days, or at least before the HBO Now days, didn't they license some content to Netflix? Yeah, I think they did in the before times when everybody was grabbing Netflix's dollars as quickly as they could, not thinking of them as a competitor. Yes, I, I, I think you're right that they were, Time Warner at the time, was licensing certain shows to Netflix as well. Yeah, yeah. I wonder how big the crossover is between Netflix subscribers and HBO subscribers. I'd always assumed it was fairly high. If that's indeed the case, uh, I'm not sure. You know, what sort of increment, what sort of lift can Netflix get out of this if the people that are subscribed to them have already seen it on HBO or HBO Max or Max or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I just I just think the idea of turning on a show on Netflix and having the first thing that pops up be an HBO production or HBO presents seems like such a confusing signal to send to 
consumers who are already arguably confused by all these different streaming services and what show is expected to show up on which service. So it'll be fun to watch. But let's go on and move to our main story this week, Colin, which, as you mentioned at the top, relates to Paramount Plus, this new pricing and uh, product strategy by adding Showtime. Yep, yep. And uh, actually, this came up last week when I was interviewing uh, Jeff Schultz, who's the chief revenue officer uh, at uh, Paramount Plus, at Paramount Plus Streaming, I should say. And he, he was he there. He was talking about the fact that they were bringing Showtime and Paramount Plus together, and they have indeed done that. I got an email. I forwarded. I mean, I, I'm I'm a subscriber to Paramount Plus, and I forwarded that email to you so that you could see it. Uh, what they have done is that they have done what they said you now get paramount plus and showtime together they've actually changed the name of their premium plan which was paramount plus premium and it's now become paramount plus with showtime uh, now the price for that is 11.99 12 dollars a month uh, that's an actual that's actually a two dollar increase from the previous premium price uh, which was 9.99 and that at the same time, they're increasing the price of the Paramount Plus Essentials, which was $4.99, that's with ads, to $5.99. So that's a $1 increase in Paramount Plus Essentials. And uh, I've already had a chance to check out Paramount Plus with Showtime. They've already done the upgrade, so I already have access now to all of the Showtime content. I was not previously a Showtime subscriber. And I can tell you, it all seems to be there, Will. There was yellow jackets there and some older stuff like Dexter and Weeds, I think, is also kicking around in there as well. So it all appears to be there. And so if you're a Paramount Plus subscriber with premium, you're going to be paying $2 extra, but you will at least have access to that Showtime content. What is the Showtime content? How is it presented in Paramount Plus, Colin? Does it look like a separate tab or separately branded or what's the integration? So they have, um, I, I have to admit, Will, I can't remember if there is a separate tab for the Showtime content. The way I discovered it was, first of all, they're pushing it pretty heavily in the hero bar, which is the, the big graphic right at the top, rotating graphic right at the top. There's lots of that Showtime content showing up there. But they also have specific carousels for the Showtime content. So, the, you know, there's Showtime hits and um, other, other carousels uh, in that interface. As you scroll down, you can scroll across and see all of the Showtime content. Uh, one of the big injections here, of course, is Showtime has a bunch of movies that they've licensed, fairly recent movies, in in that you know the traditional subscription pay tv service window uh, that shows up there which is a very nice addition to paramount i think that's that's something that was probably a, a really good addition there um, so that's how it shows up you get you know you can find that content you can find a carousel for the showtime movies and of course you can do your searches and everything it will show up there yeah i guess one wonders whether or how long the Showtime brand will continue on as a brand because Paramount plus Showtime seems like a sort of a longish name, doesn't it? And it does, doesn't it? doesn't roll right off the tongue. And, you know, I was kind of asking about what the presentation looks like because to the extent that 
Showtime content just gets integrated into the interface like any other content that you might see there, programming that you might see there. It, it, I, it just raises the question, why have a standalone brand called Showtime any longer? Um, yeah. But I, I do find myself wondering, Colin, this question about the pricing and the bundling, the price of Paramount Plus was probably going to go up anyway. So figure there's another dollar there at some point pretty soon. It, it seems like, an, from my standpoint, it seems like an awfully low additional price to pay to get access to that huge Showtime library. And, and there are some shows in there on Showtime that had pretty considerable followings and were pretty popular shows. You know, you mentioned Dexter before. Billions was a big show. Uh, Shameless had its audience. There were other shows on Showtime that were pretty well known. And Showtime was getting $12 a month for a standalone subscription through Amazon or Apple or YouTube or wherever else. And so it seems like from a paramount, from a corporate standpoint, that it's in some ways really reducing the value of what that Showtime catalog is. And there's a lot of buzz in the industry right now about what the value of content is and what consumers are willing to pay. And I, I don't think that it necessarily does any favors for the valuation of content to go from something that costs $12 a month to something that is thrown in for an extra $2. And reminds me a bit of, I know we talked about this a few months ago also, when um, the Max, when HBO Max became Max and they folded in the entire Discovery Plus library into the Max subscription without any price increase. They just threw it all in there. And we were both scratching our heads about what that kind of a move did for the valuation of the Discovery and Scripps libraries. So I, 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 I don't know. I mean, from a consumer standpoint, it's great. You know, you get access to all this stuff for just a small increase. Uh, but I do wonder where all that goes in the future. I do too. And uh, I put a pin in that it's great for the consumer because I have a fly in that ointment, which I'll get to in a second. But one of the things I think that's going on here, Will, is, and, and you see this with uh, WB Discovery and Max as well, I think that both HBO and Showtime brands in the pay TV world had a very distinctive um, image and brand and people associated it with very, very clearly with uh, uh, ad-free viewing experience, edgy content, uh, and movies you get you get you get a ton of movies here as well and and in showtime's case you also they were always big into boxing i i think um contact sports like boxing but if you look at where we are today paramount plus had a basic and a premium sections right so there was basic with ads and then there's a premium section but there really wasn't a difference between the content in those bundles. Now there is a clear distinct difference between the content in those bundles because people with Paramount Plus Basic don't get Showtime. So if you're a Showtime subscriber, uh, you know, you coming 
coming to Paramount Plus to watch your Showtime content, you're still paying a premium to do that, but it really does give that word premium, which ironically they've dropped. I realize I just realized they've dropped from the title by calling it Paramount Plus with Showtime, but it really does give that tier that same sort of premium feel that you got when you subscribe to Showtime in inside of the inside of the pay TV experience. Uh, and of course, it's uh, it's ad free viewing. And I would note that there is no other ad free option anymore within Paramount Plus. There's either with ads and basic or with Showtime without ads. So, you, you, you know, if you want without ads, you now have to pay the twelve ninety nine, eleven ninety nine, excuse me, for Paramount Plus with Showtime. So I think it really does help focus your attention on the premium package being that that upper tier being a premium tier because now it's not only an ad free experience it's an ad free experience with content that you can't get in in the lower experience so i i don't know that there's quite such a clear distinction inside of max i think you can still get to all of the hbo content if you're subscribed to the ad tier of max although i will note the ad tier of max is twice the price of the ad tier uh well not quite twice the price but uh, i think it's ten dollars or eleven dollars um in comparison with paramount basic which is only only six um so anyway point here is that i think actually the showtime content helps make that upper tier much more premium in feel. Uh, so perhaps that is one of the reasons why they decided to make this choice. The other thing is that I really think that the identity that HBO and Showtime, particularly Showtime, had carved out in the pay TV world has been eroded quite a lot in the, pay, in the streaming world. Um, you know, edgy content is, I think that's probably a hallmark of many of the services. Netflix produces a lot of edgy content. Max certainly does. Um, there's plenty of that on Hulu through FX. Uh, so, you know, there, there's plenty of edgy content around movies. There's lots of those library, lots of those movies in that same window are being licensed by the services as well as a whole bunch of other stuff coming into services. So that's not really quite so distinctive. Um, and the only question I have is I, I, I'm not sure if they've retained the rights to the boxing that they had in the past as as well. Um, so that, that could be something. But anyway, the point here is that show, the Showtime brand can't bring such a clear distinctive identity I think in the streaming world as it did in the pay television world instead Showtime found itself uh, as an individual as a separate subscription product stacked up against the Netflix and other really big streaming services which it simply couldn't compete with so bringing in I totally understand why they've brought it into Paramount Plus I think it helps as I said, I think it helps boost the value of Paramount Plus itself and that premium tier. I think those are all very fair points, Colin. I, I mean, I, I do find myself wondering how long will it be until the Showtime content or at least some subset of it is available as part of the ad supported tier as well. To your point, 
the precedent is Max, the full Max library, HBO library is available in the Max ad supported tier. So the, the, the precedent, if you will, is, is already there. And, um, you know, to the extent that ad supported tiers become ever more profitable, which I expect they will for all these different big premium services, uh, there's going to be, I think, a lot of temptation to run ads, uh, to run uh, at least some of the Showtime catalog in the ad-supported tier. Um, you know, the other thing I guess I would observe is that it shows how much the world has changed. As you said, there was a time when Showtime, HBO, and Stars were where it was at in terms of edgy programming that wasn't uh, restricted by you know, the standards and conduct that the broadcast and even the ad support cable networks were, were, were guided by. So that was where edgy content is, was, I should say, now there's edgy content everywhere. And so, whereas Showtime used to be a stalwart brand, it's now just one of many places. And as we know, it takes a lot to support a brand, both from a content development perspective and working with A-list talent, and also from a marketing standpoint. So not in that light, it's to your point, not entirely surprising to see that Showtime has gotten essentially folded into uh, Paramount Plus. And, and if I were, you know, just kind of putting myself in the shoes of Netflix executives and rolling back the clock 10 or 12 years, um, it's I think it's a pretty big milestone for them to see that one of their key competitors or you know brands that was a leader in the ad free space has now you know its ultimate fate is to get folded into a, a you know another streaming service for an incremental two dollars per month yeah yeah i think i agree um the the other thing i wanted to say will was this this i think there is a trend in the industry now where we see a widening gap between the cost of ad-funded and ad-supported viewing and the cost of ad-free viewing. And this, it, it's not just the Paramount Global announcement with Paramount Plus and Showtime. Uh, the, there, the penalty to watch with ads is now is without ads, excuse me, is $6. It was $5, it's now gone to $6 with these price increases. But earlier this week, I think it was this week, Netflix said that it plans to eliminate its basic uh, without ads tier, which is currently $9.99. It's going to just eliminate that tier. Well, in so doing, that means that if you now want to watch ad-free, you have to pay $8.50 more. Th that's how much more expensive the ad-free, the first ad-free tier is for Netflix. And it, it, they're not the only ones. Last year, Hulu also increased the cost penalty to watch ad-free from $6 to $7 a month. And I gotta tell you, I think this is going to be a big trend. Um, I remember listening to Disney's Q2 2023 earnings call with Bob Iger. And I wanna read you what he said, Will. 
He said, we are pleasantly surprised that the loss of subs due to what was a substantial increase in pricing for the non-ad supported Disney Plus product was de minimis. It was some loss, but it was relatively small. That leads us to believe that we, in fact, have pricing elasticity. And I think he's almost guaranteeing that he is going to widen the gap between ad-supported viewing and ad-free viewing with Disney+. Plus. And I think it's going to happen this year when they adjust prices at the end of the year, which they have been doing now on a fairly regular basis. And I think this is going to be an industry trend. So we're going to see this gap widening for a lot of services. And I'm kind, this, this kind of is, is dodgy, a dodgy area, Will, because... Although there is great enthusiasm for ad-supported uh, ad supported viewing inside of SVODs, people are very happy to save a little money. There is still the majority, the vast majority of people are still watching ad-free. They still value ad-free. And there was some new antenna data which actually came out today. We're recording on Wednesday that came out today that shows 75%, still 75% of SVOD subscriptions are to ad-free tiers. And even if you look at the new subscribers, people who are coming in to sign up, still 68% of them are signing up to ad-free plans. So I guess the, the cautionary word I would add here is that the vast majority of people really value ad-free viewing. Uh, they, that is one of the core value propositions they see with SVOD services. And you need to be careful about how much you pay, you make them pay to watch without ads, because I think there's a large proportion of those people that rather than drop down to an ad supported tier will simply cancel. So I, I just think this is a, an attack on another core value of SVOD. I think I talked about before, they're taking stuff out of the libraries. Um, that's another core value that you could rely on stuff being there. Well, here's another example of them attacking a core value of SVOD, which is that they're ad free. They're making it very expensive. And in Netflix's case, kind of ironic, right? Netflix was the king of ad-free viewing for so long. Now has the highest penalty in the industry to continue to watch ad-free. And I think this is risky when the majority of your customers prefer ad-free viewing. Well, that said, as you quoted Bob Iger, they're finding that there's not much churn when they raise the price. So that gives them more you know courage to continue doing so until they realize that the, you know people are doing what you just suggested they'll do which is that they'll start dropping off um, i think it also reflects that disparity reflects how profitable and successful ad supported tiers are uh, for these streaming services providers and we've talked about this a number of times on the podcast but um, I, I think the profitability of the ad model is, especially at the premium tier where we're talking about 
a Disney Plus or a Hulu or a Netflix, uh, I think that profitability is only going to increase going forward because the value of ads is only going to increase going forward. So if you're a seller of premium ad inventory, you're going to have a lot more ways to deliver value to advertisers and advertisers will, I think, increasingly pay more on a per impression or per action basis than in the past. And that means, to your point, that um, ad, the rate that they charge for an ad supported tier can not go up as fast as the ad free tier. And they're completely comfortable doing that because it's more profitable probably at some point, if not already, uh, to have a subscriber be on an ad-supported tier than on an ad-free tier. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, I completely understand the economics of the decisions, Will. Uh, I, just, I guess I'm just reminding there's a lot of enthusiasm for ad tiers. There's been a lot of ink spilled discussing how keen subscribers are to sign up for these plans. That said, the antenna data shows that still the vast majority of new signups still sign up ad-free. And that means that means that there's a high desire to watch without ads. And what I guess what I'm saying is there'll be a large proportion of those folks who are adverse and will not sign up to the ad-supported tier. And if they can't afford to, to sign up ad-free, they won't sign up at all. Yeah, well, let's have that be the last word for today and agree <laughs> yes. that we're going to keep a close eye on how these trends develop and uh, we're going to take a week off. We're going to wish all of our listeners a happy July 4th long weekend break, whatever you may be doing. Enjoy yourselves. And uh, Colin, I think that's it for this week, right? Yep, that is indeed. Have a happy 4th of July, everybody. And we'll see you back here in a couple of weeks. Inside the Stream is a production of InScreen Media and Video News. All rights reserved.